Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Well, good morning again and welcome to our message today. And today we're continuing our short series on the book of Philippians, one uh, sermon per chapter. And we're looking at, at this book through the lens of core values. And we saw last week how the Apostle Paul was trained in prison in Rome, sending a letter to his beloved friends at Philippi and how the, the contrast, the darkness of the lens through which he looked through that window and, and remembered the people that he loved, how the contrast of that black framing just brought about the vivid colours of what we concluded was the value of people. And so today we move on and we're looking at what happens in chapter 2 and how, as he goes on and what the implications are of this value and how a value for people that he hopes they will have for themselves amongst each other begins to work out. Let's take, pick it up in Philippians 2 verse 1. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. It's almost like he's asking for the impossible. I mean, since when have church people ever been able to get on? Since when have they ever been able to put aside their, their little differences and continue on a path that goes towards the end goal? Yet that's exactly what he's asking us to do. And churches uh, habitually have, if they are left unbridled, just tend to split themselves and, and do all the stuff that many of us have seen in church world. For many of us, that's why we're probably looking at this on, online today and not in a church itself. Because church, if we're realistic, hasn't worked out for many of us. And so in these sorts of days, as churches begin to reform, and it's a new time, a new day for church, as the old models come under threat, we can see that if we're going to go on strong, as they did in these days, it requires the same things that Paul talked about back then, being of one mind, one heart, one spirit. But how do we do that? How does that happen in a real world where all of us have different theologies, different mindsets, different preferences? And when we have them, it's very hard for us to not appreciate that other people don't grasp them the same way we do. They don't elevate the same little nuance that we have or the same way that we do worship or the same songs or the same liturgy. Uh, we just have this way of, of preferring to be homogenous in that. We want it all to be the same way that we like it. So how does one get past that? How do we build a church with people and encompass and embrace those from all sorts of walks of life and somehow find alignment in what we're doing? Uh, some people have called it herding cats. But uh, you know the, the saying there, cats go where cats want to go. So what would make a bunch of cats like us want to go in one particular direction? Well, let's have a look at that. Because Paul frames it in a very clear way in three little words there. He says to be of the same love, the same spirit, and of one mind. So the same love means our love is not for what we want. Our love primarily above all of that without dismissing all of that because it's important to us. But our love is primarily about those people, the others around us, that core value that we looked at last week, that people matter most. It's saying, above all things, people matter beyond my nuance. And when, when that is real, not just an idea, when people do matter more than anything else, then we are able to do that. But he says to be of one spirit. Obviously, the Holy Spirit he's talking about there. He's not being ethereal there and saying, you know, just be of the one intention in that sense. He's saying, no, you have the same spirit. Be about what that spirit is about. Be about what God's about. Prioritize what he's prioritizing. Let him empower your life because when he empowers your life 
And it's not our flesh impairing it. And when I say our flesh, that includes our personality, preferences, all the stuff that we would want. He's saying, no, get beyond that. You're not empowered by the flesh. You're empowered by the spirit. All of you have the same spirit. That same spirit is heading one way to get the lost saved and the lost and the found grow up. And so this is the mission we're to be about, to be, allow ourselves to be empowered by that spirit. And then he says to be of one mind. So it's love, spirit, mind. And, and to be of one mind doesn't require us to be mindless because that's the inference that we might be able to bring from that. You're saying, well, I, I'm not allowed to think. Far from that. He's saying, think higher. Keep the thoughts that you've got, but also add to that a thought of something higher. We've got to go higher in the way we think about the world and the, and the kingdom and our place in that. We've got to realize that the way things were in decades past are not the way they're going to be. And so we need to be committed of one mind to a higher aspiration. Because the viability of the local church, the viability of God's people gathering together as they have for the last hundred years or so. And every hundred years or so, we find we need a massive transition in church life anyway to make it relevant to the communities in which we're in. But the viability of churches, as we've known it, are reducing. We've got to own that fact that what we were doing in decades past is is uh, declining in its practicality of meeting the real needs of real people. So change is on its way. We need to have vibrant places for God's people. They still want to come. They want to come together, but it needs to be vibrant. They need to have a tangible sense of God's presence. They need to know He's there with them, that we're not just doing this thing in our own strength. They need to know God is with us as He promised He would be. And people need and want and deserve to experience that. And so how do we do that? Well, obviously, we have to build faith communities that never lose sight of the value of people. As Paul is saying, he's just banging that drum. People matter most. And these are people who connect and they grow together and they play their part together and they reach out to others. It's people where there's a sense of the, the urgency about the emerging generation and our need to find ways to bring the gospel to them and invite them to the life in which Jesus invited us. It's groups of people who are, uh, have their hearts filled and their mission fueled. That's what we're about at Kenmore, obviously. And there are churches everywhere struggling and grappling and, and pushing forward in this sense. And sometimes it's a lonely path because it just seems like so many are, are committed to going the way we used to go. And yet God's people always rise up. There's always an advancing. We're always going forward. And so I've, I've got incredible hope for the future of the church because God is the one who builds it. Jesus said, I will build my church. And it's just great if we can let go of our own preference, seek our, our, a higher way of thinking, one mind, as Paul says, onto what Jesus himself is thinking. See how he's building the church and got on board with what he's doing. And if you'd like to know how we do that, I really do invite everyone in our fellowship, and if you, particularly if you're online, if you'd like to know how and why and what matters to us and, and how we're doing it here, please go online uh, to our website and follow the links to the Connect track. And the link will be on screen there. On our Connect track, it's an online short course. It's a few videos we've put up on there that explain what we're about, what matters to us, how we're going about things, things like the growth track and even things about how we're structured and, and, and how we're planning to move forward for different generations. I would love all of our people to be doing that, but especially those who can only get to us online. Okay, so Paul goes one layer deeper to see how we need to train the way we live and train the way we think to fulfill this value of people matter most. Let's pick it up in chapter 2, verse 3. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. 
in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And here's the word that comes banging through very loud in, in what Paul's saying here, that if people matter most, we need to take on the same mindset of Christ, that of raw humility. Humility that doesn't put itself down. It's not, humility is not saying I am valued less. It's saying I see the value in other people and I'm going to value them more. And so this becomes a true core because when Jesus came down he, and emptied himself and became as we are, he wasn't valuing himself any less. He was heightening the value of those around him, of us. And so this becomes the second value after people matter most. It's that of humility because people are desperate now for leadership and Christians who are authentic, who are sincere, who aren't looking for their own agenda. They're not powered by ego. They're not driving for their own personal brand and so on. This world just sees straight through that. And so does God and so does scripture. And so thank God is a day rising where humble leadership, authentic people, people who lift and see the value of others are coming to the fore. You see, you can't become who we need to be if pride and entitlement and ego like that are driving us. Uh, we need to be about humility, which isn't putting yourself down. It's lifting others up. And that's the language in there. And humility goes against this current trend that we're seeing uh, so much, and which we, which we seem to lambast so much, encompassed by the word entitlement. Uh, humility is like the antithesis, the, the opposite of an entitled spirit. And it's interesting that Paul's writing this because Paul obviously was or used to be a Pharisee. And Pharisees were the, the scriptural version of the entitled ones. They were the pride, proud ones. They, they saw themselves as having value because of what they were able to do and who they were born to be and so on. And, if, and entitlement says, I've earned the right to be in a different position to you because of what I've done. It says, I somehow have inherent uh, value about who I am that places me above on some scale, some ladder higher than you. And so entitlement begins with the assumption of personal priority. It starts with personal value. It focuses on personal value and so can't see the value of others. It says, I'm not like you. I've been destined for something better. I'm special. I'm, I'm not just unique. I'm special because uniqueness, we're all unique. But entitlement says, no, I'm of higher value. I'm not just unique. And so when entitlement comes into the church, it says things like, uh, I don't do those menial tasks. I don't do things like that. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've done? I can't serve. I can't do this without having a title that suits my station in life. I can't help it. God's just made me to be at the top. But this sort of entitlement is really born if we're really honest and can perceive ourselves because we all have to fight this in some sense through our life. It's, prude, it's uh, rooted in uh, pride, it's rooted in a sense of insecurity and because it lacks, it has to put forward itself because it lacks self-surety. Jesus never put himself forward. He could have. He had every right to. And yet, because of his security and who he was and his relationship with God, he never felt the need to do that. He just had no need to do that. He didn't seek a title. He didn't seek advancement in, in, in any way. And so what we find with entitlement, the reality is it's almost impossible to describe it to someone who has it and say, you know, this thing, I can sense a bit of entitlement about you because to be honest, we never see it. It's a blind spot. It's almost impossible uh, for us to see it. Others see it in us. And that's what makes it so hard to combat. 
like pride, it's a blind spot that drives our life and, and fuels so much of what we do. And yet everyone around us can see it far more plainly than we can. And so obviously humility is the thing to pursue. Uh, and I remember Chuck Swindoll once saying that humility is something that never comes naturally to any human being. And so it must be like a cloak. It's like a coat that we put on. We put humility on because the pride in our heart uh, is worked away over many years by God. And so this humility sees values in others, sees a value in others and lifts them up. It lifts others up rather than lifting ourselves up. Can you see the difference there? Entitlement lifts us up. Humility lifts up others. Its focus is on someone else. It's not thinking about itself. And so true humility, as it's been said, is not thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. That's what humility really looks like. The irony in all this is that humility would almost seek to place itself low as it's lifting others up. But in the whole dynamic of the kingdom, when God sees humility, he sees that one as fit to be lifted up. He says, if you're lifting others up, then you're the one I want to lift up because the more I lift you, the more you're going to lift others. And the frustrating thing is if you have a calling on your life, if you have a sense that God wants to use you and God has designed you for certain things, if you have that calling, but you are entitled, what we will find is that God himself will hold you back. It says that pride comes before a fall. And, and uh, what happens there is that it's almost as if God's hand comes against us. And it says, I can't have you lifted up to the extent that you need to be or even that you're called to be until you can learn to lift others up beyond you. James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5, both say the same thing. God opposes the proud. There it is. His hand actually comes against us. He opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And you can see this in Scripture incredibly clearly. Look at a guy like Joseph. He's obviously had a calling upon his life. He's had the dream. He's favored by Abraham. And yet he had this entitled spirit. And you see that for 14 years, God had to deal with Joseph until he was ready, until he was humble enough to be obedient, to be selfless in that sense, to lift up a whole nation. And that's when he was ready to be lifted up. You see it in the life of Moses, who spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. Then out he goes into the desert and spends 40 years thinking that he's nobody. And only then can God pick him up and say, I want to make somebody out of nobody. And even the author of this book, to Philippians, Paul. It means little one, his name. Uh, he'd gone from Saul to Paul and he determined that he would become a little one. But have a look at his journey. For 14 years, if you, if you do a chronological look at what he says about himself in his own writings, uh, many years after he's saved, you'll see the, the work of humility work out in his life as he changes his view of himself and the view of people around him. It's a fascinating study if you watch it chronologically. And in the book of Galatians, um, one of the first things he penned uh, in about AD 50. So this is 30 years, uh, sorry, 20 years after, the, after Jesus has been uh, crucified and risen. So he's been a Christian for the huge majority of that time. He, he talks in Galatians about Peter, James and John. He says, those who were reputed to be pillars of the church. And, and I went toe to toe with these guys and they added nothing to my message. You can see his heart there. He's coming against the guys who are the head of the church. And he's saying, well, I'm at least the equal to these guys, if not above them. They don't add anything to my message. And I can see just as God's anointed them, that he's anointed me and, and I'm going to the Gentiles. And he was true, but it, but it was just proud. It was entitled. There was a lot of work for God yet to do. Some years later, AD 59, he pens a book of 1 Corinthians. And he says at that stage, now it's Paul and I am the least of the apostles. So now instead of being level pegging, he's saying, I'm the least of these guys. 
He's taken himself down a peg and he's lifting these others up. Then we see in Ephesians, in AD 63, another four years down the track, he says, I'm the very least of all the saints. So now he's going down and saying, not only am I least of the apostles, I'm the least of God's people. And then in 1 Timothy 1, AD 64, another year after that again, he says, Paul, me, I'm the foremost of all sinners. The only, t- the only way you can lift me up is if you lift me up along the list of the worst people. And this is how he begins to define himself. And, and yet, as he's humbled himself over these years, Whose letters are we reading? Paul's. Who else wrote most of the New Testament? Nobody. It was Paul. And so as as he reduced himself, God elevated him. And this is the dynamic we begin to see in life. And look at at it as he spells it out further in Philippians 2 verse 9. He says, Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So you can see God raises, raises up those who lower themselves. It's just a dynamic of the kingdom. Uh, it happened all through the Old Testament, and you can see it right through the New as well. And I've found this in my own life too. If there's one thing that you can trust God for, it's to let Him lift you up. I think if all of us who have a, have a bit of a drivenness about us, those of us who are wanting to go somewhere and do some stuff and achieve some things in life, if you want to have God work with you on that instead of against you, you need to have faith that it's God alone who lifts up. God is the rewarder. God is the maker of, and breaker of kings. God is the giver of office and he's the only one who opens doors for us. And so we can't push our way through into God's calling for our life. God's calling is that people matter most. And that that is done through the value of humility, that we value others more than we value ourselves. And I can give you a long, long and sometimes very sad story of my own life. Like Paul, 14 years where God taught me this, where I had to give, give up personal ambition, had to give up personal pride. Didn't even know I had it. It was a complete blind spot until after it was gone. And yet when it was gone, when God had finally dealt with it, when my only heart really, as it is today, is to see others lifted up that that's when God elevates you. He does what no human could ever do. He opens doors that could never be opened. Only he can do that because it's his calling on your life to fulfill. So do you want to fulfill what we used to call your destiny as if it's yours? You soon realize it's not yours. Your calling is for everybody else. And when we can grasp that and not only grasp it in our minds, but enjoy it in our hearts, embrace it and saying, my life is about the life of others. I elevate other people. Then you watch what God can do in your life. It's uh, more than you could dream or imagine. Let me pray for you now. Father, I pray for each one. I just pray that you would break over us as a generation, a spirit of entitlement, that you would replace it with the beautiful, colorful life of humility, where we just get over ourselves and we understand the value of other people. And as we do that, we truly do find ourselves for the first time. We find ourselves in the context of all the others that we just love to serve, that we become more of who we are when we elevate people into more of who they can be. So Father, I pray your blessing of humility upon each person listening. May it be a new spirit about how we do church in 2021. Amen. Bless you now. I look forward to seeing you again soon.